Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Grace. God is good. All right, today we'll be reading from Exodus 14. And if you have your pew Bible with you, please open to page 56. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pihiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Balzephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh said to the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will add in Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pihiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff, and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. 
and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot's wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left hand. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Amen. From slavery to glory. We've been in Exodus now for several weeks. We've got a couple more weeks before we're going to take a break for Advent. But today we come to the climax of this book, this story. This is the, this is the part we've all been waiting for, the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. We're moving out of slavery, finally, after all these chapters, and we're moving through the sea into the glory of God. The crossing of the Red Sea is the controlling narrative of Israel's history. It's, some argue it's the controlling narrative of the whole Bible. We could even take it a step further and say it's been the controlling narrative of all of Western civilization. The Reformation. Martin Luther, uh, Martin Luther said that they were under popish bondage. We needed to be freed and liberated from the Catholic Church. The pilgrims, the Puritans, saw themselves as the English exodus leaving England to come to America to be liberated 
out from under. The American colonists saw themselves as a promised land, a city upon a hill that needed to escape the bondage of the British. Black slaves in America latched on to the Exodus story and, and saw their whole cause as a new Exodus out from under those same colonists. <laughs> the civil rights movement. Martin Luther King Jr. was compared to Moses. Malcolm X was compared to Moses. <laughs> it has been the story not just their story, but our story. But what about as Christians? As Christians, what do we do with the Exodus story? Is this just about liberation from an oppressor? Is it just about political freedom? Sociological freedom? Or is there more to this story that we need to discover, especially as those who are in Christ? So my title today is Out from Our Slavery to Sin. Out from Our Slavery to Sin. You see, when we look at Exodus 14 and we say we want to learn about liberation, we want to learn about freedom, we need to ask, immediately we need to ask two questions. Liberation from what? Liberation to what? Liberation from? Liberation to. Freedom from? Freedom unto. Those are the two big questions that we're going to wrestle with this morning. What are we set free from? So lesson number one. In Christ, we are set free from sin and can choose to not sin. In Exodus chapter 12, we had the Passover story. Do you remember it? Probably. I don't, I don't think for a lot of us it was the first time you heard it two weeks ago. Probably a lot of us have heard it before. So in the Passover story... They spread the blood, and God passes over them. He doesn't kill the firstborn sons. He doesn't punish them for their sins. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Here in 14, they're still not free, are they? We're reading this, those first few verses, Golden Redham, and we're thinking, Pharaoh, give up already. But he won't. He refuses to quit. He's still chasing them. It says, it says that their minds were changed and God hardened his heart. All, all, everything's happening. <laughs> it's all happening again. And now he's, we're going to go get them back and we're going to bring them back into bondage. You see, the Passover wasn't enough. There has to be more. Forgiveness is not enough. There has to also be freedom. 
For the Christian, there has to be forgiveness and there has to be freedom. Christ has to shed his blood for us, but Christ also has to die on the cross. He has to die. We have to be joined to that death. So let me ask you a question, Christian. Let me ask you a question. When you sin, what do you do? How do you process your sin? What do you do about your sin struggle? How do you deal with it? Probably most Christians, what they do is they wait till they sin, and they feel kind of guilty about it, and then they ask God to forgive them. And all right, well, try better next time. That's pretty much how a lot of Christians go through life. In other words, we go back to the forgiveness of sin without advancing to the freedom from sin. If all we do, Christian, if all we do is go back to the forgiveness of sin, we have a couple problems. We have a couple big problems right away. Okay, so I sin. Okay, I need more forgiveness. I need more forgiveness. So I go to God and I say, God, give me more forgiveness, which in essence is kind of like saying, God, I need your blood, shed more blood, shed more blood. But does, is, is Jesus continuing to shed blood? No. Okay, so, okay, so I have a problem. So what's actually happening Am I actually gaining more forgiveness than what I already have? Or we can go the exact opposite direction and we can say, I sinned, but I'm forgiven. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Woohoo. But then we have, we have a really big problem. We have Paul's question in, in Romans chapter 6. Should we just keep sinning so grace can abound? God forbid. May it never be. Because here's how the Christian needs to deal with sin. Not only by the blood, but by the cross. Not only by forgiveness, but by knowing your freedom from sin. The blood was put on the doorposts. The blood was put on the doorposts, and God saw the blood. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Because, Christian, what we need to understand is that the blood is for God. When Christ shed his blood, that propitiate, remember that big word from a couple weeks ago? <laughs> that propitiated, that satisfied God. God satisfied God. The blood of Jesus satisfied the just wrath and judgment of the Father. The blood was for God. Okay, so what's for me? What actually does this work in my life so that I can overcome sin? 
Yes, I'm forgiven, but I need more than that. I need to die to my sin. I need to die to my sin. And so, church, that's the Red Sea. It doesn't end at the Passover. The book doesn't end there. The book isn't, they, they, blood, they put the blood and God passes over and they march out. Woohoo! And they're at Sinai and they worship. No, there's this story. There's chapter 14 and we got to deal with it. And it is the story. Because you see, something has to happen. For them to be free, Pharaoh has to die. I'm sorry. Because this dude's not going to quit. He has to die, and they have to go into the water in order for Pharaoh to die. They needed not only the Passover, but they also needed the sea. The Passover set them, set them free, but here comes the horde, here comes the 600 chariots, here comes the elite, here comes the, 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 the superpower with his weapons of mass destruction, and here he comes, and he's bearing down, and, and you see them, they're freaking out, and they're saying things like, we should have never left. They even get sarcastic. What, there's not graves in Egypt? All there are in Egypt is graves. <laughs> That's their whole culture. It's one big tomb. God says, no, man, we got to go into the water. You see, God wants, God needs to baptize them. What? Baptize them. God needs to baptize them. I want you to look at first, it's up here on the screen. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says to the Corinthians, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> See, when they walked through the sea with Moses, they were being baptized into Moses. They were being identified with Moses, their mediator. And that identification will save them. They're not being saved because they're righteous. They're not being saved because they're amazing. They're not being saved because they figured out how to worship God and have done such a great job at it. They're being saved because they're connected to Moses. Okay? Hopefully, Christian, you're starting to see the connection to Jesus, okay? In Romans 6, Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his what? His death. Now, remember, this is coming on the heels of, should we keep on sinning so that there's more grace and forgiveness? No. Paul doesn't say, keep running back to your forgiveness, keep running back to your forgiveness. Yes, that's a starting point, but how do we progress? How do we progress as Christians and see sin broken? We have to understand that we have been baptized into the death of Christ. 
I'm not talking water baptism. Water baptism is the symbol. We do that up there or outside or whatever at Gyro. We fill up the tank. We get the water. Somebody gets in. I baptize you, right? You've seen it. Hopefully you've done it. Okay, that is not your baptism into Christ. That is a picture of your baptism into Christ. The minute you received Christ by faith, you were baptized into Christ, into his death. And then we put you in the water to picture that. Death, burial, resurrection. Okay, so we are baptized into Christ, not water baptism, spiritual baptism. And this is what deals with the sinner. Listen, the blood dealt with the sin. The cross deals with the sinner. Say it again. The blood deals with the sin. By the blood, sin is forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9. The blood deals with the sin. The cross deals with the sinner. Because you are joined to Christ's death on the cross, you are dead to sin. The blood on the doorposts, the blood, the blood on the doorposts brought forgiveness from God, but they still got a slave master. And that slave master, he's charging Adam. And unless they walk through the water, they will go back to slavery and, and start over. In fact, they're actually kind of begging for it. Let's just go back. Oh, my goodness. But when they go through the water, Moses says, look, verse, verse 13. Look at verse 13. The Egyptians who you see today, you will never see again. Wow. And, and by the end of the chapter, 28, look at verse 28, not one of them remained. The destruction of their slave masters was full and complete. When they walked into the waters and came out on the other side, they, were, they, they, now have, they now have no, listen, write this down. If you're taking notes, this is it. They now have no relationship to their Egyptian slave masters because they're dead. They're, uh, they're dead on the shore. No one is going to drag them back into bondage. And in fact, if you track with Scripture, all throughout the rest of Scripture, God will say, God will say to Israel and to Judah, do not, do not ever go back to Egypt. Don't make alliances with Egypt. Don't go to Egypt for help. And when kings do that, God gets pretty angry. It's like, why you, Hezekiah, why you run into the Egyptians? You're not supposed to go back. Why? Because it's a picture. It's a picture. Romans 6.11 a few verses later, Paul will say, 
you also, Christian, you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Dead to sin, alive to God. You know, in the first five chapters of Romans, Paul, dealt with, Paul talked about the blood. Paul talked about forgiveness through the blood. That's what the first five chapters are all about. But here in chapter six, he's taking us into the water. He's taking us into baptism. You are baptized into Christ and into his death. And if you've been baptized into his death, you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive unto God. So, Christian, in the same way that when the Israelites came through the waters, they now have no relationship to the Egyptian slave masters. Guess what? Christian, when you come through the waters of Christ, the, the, the cross of Christ, and you are unified to Christ's cross, guess what? You now have no relationship to sin. Sin cannot control you. Sin, does, sin can make no demands over you. Sin cannot condemn you. Sin is no longer your slave master. You don't have to sin. When they were in Egypt, they had... They, they had to worship Pharaoh. It said it in the text. We're here to serve Pharaoh. We serve Pharaoh. By the way, in Hebrew, the word for serve and the word for worship are the same exact Hebrew word, abad. And they said, we serve Pharaoh. No, you serve God. You serve God. They are set free from sin. So what does this mean, Christian? Listen, what it means is your real problem is you. <laughs> okay? Now, look, if you keep coming back to church here after Christmas, after January, I guess, it'll be February before we get back into this. Guess what's going to happen? So next week, chapter 15 is going to be amazing. Woohoo! And then chapter 16 is going to come, and they're going to start sinning. And 17 is going to come, and they're going to sin even more. And 18 is going to, and then it's going to, right? And then, and then they're going to get the law, and guess what they'll do once they get the law? Break it. Break it. They're going to break it. And God will, you know, more laws, more breakage, more laws, more breakage, more laws. Oh, build a tabernacle. Okay. And if you keep reading the rest of your Bible, they just sin and they sin and they sin and they sin and they sin. Right? But guess what? They never sin because the Egyptians make them sin. You with me? They sin because they make a free will choice to sin. They don't sin because they're carrying bricks for the next pyramid. They sin because they just choose not to trust God. Your problem is you. This is how James said it. Remember the book of James? Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. James chapter 4, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war in you? Number two, 
We're set free from sin. We're set free unto God. In Christ, we are set free unto God. You therefore must consider yourself dead to sin and alive unto God. See, here's, this is, this is where the Exodus story and the great Western civilization narrative of liberation diverge. God says in his story, God says, I'm going to set you free unto me. In the great Western civilization narrative, we think we need to be set free unto ourselves. And that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Back in chapter 9, actually this is, God repeats this several times in Exodus. Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me, that they may worship me. God is not setting his people free from the Egyptians. They don't come out, trust me, it's coming, next, next few chapters, trust me, they don't come out on the other side of the Red Sea and God says, okay, good job, see ya, have fun. No, look at how the 14 ends. Israel saw the great power. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord had, the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Whew, if only the book ended there. <laughs> it ends on a good note. They are set free unto God. When we think that we are set free unto ourselves, when we teach a narrative that says we're set free to follow ourselves or to self-determine, we are set up for failure. Because you see, listen, God created human beings to be servants. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That word work there is... Abad, the same word that's all over the book of Exodus that means servant, slave, worshiper. The word worshiper and the word slave are the same word in Hebrew. We are meant to be servants. We are meant, we are created to be under the authority of God. And the, and the, and the minute that we're left to our own devices, <laughs> we freak out just like they did. They get out, the, the Egyptians are coming. We're not, we're not slaves to Egypt. We're also not really sure what God's doing. So I'm left, they're literally, for, for a split second, they're left to their own devices, aren't they? And they lose their minds. They're terrified. They don't know what to do. They, they, start, they start saying, maybe, maybe we should just go back. Maybe we should just submit and kneel, right? Put your hands behind your head. Let the Egyptians arrest us and take us back. Moses has to say, he literally says, shut up. Stop talking. Because when we 
when we try to live lives of self-determination, it doesn't work. We're terrified. We're terrified. It paralyzes us. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know. We actually live in this, um, this crazy paradox, and it's a paradox that God has created for our good. But it's this paradox. We're meant to be servants, and we're meant to be free at the same time. But there's only one way that that can happen, and that's through Christ. It's in God. God is the only one that can make us His slaves and make us free at the same time. He's the only one that can do that. And you know this. You know this, guys. You know this. Because as soon as you start saying, I'm free, and I'm, I can choose, and I can run my life, and I can control, and then you look around you and you realize, dang, I'm a slave. <laughs> this, this career, this career is my pharaoh. My friends, I got free from my parents, and now my friends are my pharaoh. <laughs> Social media is my pharaoh. We, you know, we've created a whole theory for this. It's called critical theory, you know, critical race theory, where, where what we say is um, we're all oppressed. We're all oppressed. There's oppressed and there's, there's oppressors and there's oppressed. And we do that because deep in our hearts we need to be free, and we can't be free unless we're oppressed. So we have to constantly create a new pharaoh. And I'm not saying there's not real pharaohs. There are. The Bible teaches us that too. Babel, Babel oppressed people. Sodom and Gomorrah oppressed people. The Pharaoh oppressed people, right? Babylon oppressed people. Assyria oppressed people. On and on and on. I'm not saying that's not real. But what I'm saying is in our psychology, we need to have a personal Pharaoh so that we can constantly be trying to be free. I'm free. In this country, it's easy. Every four years, we, we exchange one pharaoh for a new pharaoh, right? The Republicans oppressed us. Vote Democrat. And then four years later, the Democrats oppressed us. <laughs> Vote Republican. And, and, and we complain and we argue about it, but deep inside, we kind of love it. Because it kind of gives us this identity. Like, oh yeah, I can constantly, I'll cast the ballot that will free us. <laughs> what? We need to be free from big government. And then we're slaves to big corporations. We need to be free from religion. Some of you are sitting here, you know, you just want to be free from religion. I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. How is your spirituality any less of a pharaoh to you? I mean, is it? I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it's holding all the same things over your head that some church is. Listen, some of you love being oppressed. You're not happy unless you're miserable. If life's not terrible, you, you wouldn't know what to do. If somebody wasn't out to get you, 
What, what, would you, what would you do tomorrow? There's got to be something to complain about, something to post about, something to gossip about. My goodness. Listen to me. Christian, listen to me. Oppressed is not your identity. Oppressed is not your identity. Worshiper is your identity. Victory in Jesus is your identity. More than conqueror is your identity. Who, who can hold anything against God's elect? We read it. Who can hold any charge against God's elect? No one. No one can. Christian, you don't need a new exodus today, tomorrow. You are free. And you're not free to self-determine. You are free unto God. Romans 6.22, now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Do you understand that that's good news? That is good news. Some of you just want the free from sin part, and you don't love that second half. Without the second half, there's not the first half. (laughs) Do you see it? Without God controlling your life, you'll constantly be a train wreck. You'll constantly be angry. You'll constantly be bitter. You'll constantly be, uh, be depressed. You'll constantly be antagonizing others and blaming others and victim mentality and all, and then you'll become the very thing you hate. We don't need a new exodus. We don't need a new liberation. We have it in Christ Christ, the better Moses, has led us to our freedom, and we are in bondage to God. Listen, we're not Christian. We're not in Egypt. Do you understand that? If we're we're tracking with the metaphor, if Exodus is a big metaphor for Christianity, we're not in Egypt. We're in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, you're free. You might still be complaining. You might still be saying, hey, God, where's my quail? That's coming. <laughs> That's coming. Some of you are like, what? It's, it's coming. But you're not a slave. You're not a slave. The only, the only one to blame is right here, right here. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you been set free? Have you been set free? Have you been set free from you? This is the question. Are you still a slave? Are you still a slave in Egypt? Are you still oppressed by your own Pharaoh self? your own works righteousness? Are you lashing your own back? Build my pyramid. Hey, me, build that for me. Is that your life? Or have you turned to Christ and said, Jesus set me free? 
I just, I, I, I want to be free, and I want the freedom that comes from you being my master. Have you said that? Have you done that? You can, you can spiritually, you can walk through the sea right now. <laughs> like literally, you can walk through it right now. You can say, you can say, Jesus, I see that sea in front of me, and it's, I'm not going to lie, it's terrifying. Think about how terrifying it was for the Israelites. Giving my life to you, Jesus, I'm not going to lie, that's terrifying to me. But, but this army that's bearing down on me, that's also terrifying. And it hasn't worked. It wasn't good. I was not becoming what you want me to be as a human being. And so I'm going to trust in you, Jesus. And when we trust in him, what happens? The water's open. All of our sins, all of our mistakes, every sin you've ever committed, every sin you will commit, and not only that, the power of sin, sin's power follows into that sea, and those, and those walls come down and wash it out. Have you experienced that? If you have, number three, keep moving forward in the power of God's grace. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. For all of you who are in Christ today, I exhort you, go forward. Go forward. Go forward. Don't be terrified. Pharaoh thought they were lost. He said, aha, they're lost. They thought they were trapped. God thought they were exactly where they needed to be. Did you notice, did you notice two times the, the hard words, verse 2, encamp in front of Pi Hieroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zaphon. Okay. Look at verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them where? Pi Haroth in front of Baal Zaphon. Who put them where they would be caught? God. They were exactly where God wanted them to be. They weren't lost, and they weren't trapped. They were about to experience the overwhelming grace and power of God. But they got to move forward. Paul, Paul Tripp, in his devotional, this, this chapter was his devotional on Friday, November 11th. And he calls it grace in motion. Grace in motion. We got to move forward. And he says, God's grace, of course, God's grace is behind us and sustains us like the blood on the doorpost, but there's also a unique grace of God that meets us in the movement. 
It comes to us as we take the steps. You see, too many Christians, too many Christians are saying, man, as soon as God reveals His will to me, then I'll start moving. As soon as God gives me what I need, then I'll start moving. And you know what God is saying to that? He's saying, start moving, and I will meet you at every step. God, when my schedule, I, I, just, I just need this to get cleared out and this cleared out, then I'll reach out to the new neighbors. God, I just don't have time to deal with my niece and nephew and all of their problems. I know somebody else can do that. I don't even know how to say it. I don't know what I would do. I don't, I'm not trained. I can't make disciples. I'm not trained. And God is saying, shut up and move forward. Okay, Moses said shut up, to be fair. God didn't say shut up. <laughs> I don't know if that was the flesh or the spirit in Moses. <laughs> Keep moving. Christian, you don't need liberation. You need to practice your liberation. You don't need freedom. You need to practice your freedom. You need to live free. Christian, stand still. What's the, pro what's the progression? Stand still. Verse 13, fear not. Stand firm. Move forward. Yes, sometimes we got to stop and stand firm and be reminded be reminded of all that God has done. Be reminded. But then we need to move. Then we need to move. The Christian life is never the passive life. It's always the life of moving, moving forward in the grace of God. Christian, we have been saved from death. The blood on the doorposts, they were saved from death. But in the sea, they were saved through death. Christ is calling us to every day be saved through death. To walk into the Red Sea was suicide, but not with God. The, you, the Egyptians, when they started moving, the Egyptians must have been like, what are these idiots doing? They're, they're literally, it's a mass drowning no. The Christian life will look foolish to the world because it's a salvation, it's a sanctification through dying. It's a sanctification that comes as we enter again into the very situation that you say you can't do and you can't handle. Of course you can't. you got to go in there and die. And Christ will be resurrected. His love, His grace, His power will be resurrected through you, but it's His do you see it? You are, you've already been saved from death. Now can you be saved through dying, through death? Can you put to death selfishness and pick up your cross and follow Him into the sea? Galatians 5, Paul says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. May that always be our prayer. Let's pray.
Jesus, you walked into the sea. You did it for us. You led the way. Literally, in this passage, you led the way. But we know spiritually, spiritually, Jesus, you walked into death for us. You conquered it. All of your enemies, all of the, the enemy of death, as we sang that great lyric, death has died and Christ is risen. Hallelujah. God, I thank you. Jesus, I thank you and praise you that in your dying, you have also put to death the sin that would so easily ensnare us. God, may we never, ever want to run back to the enslavement unto sin. May we never, ever want to quit on Jesus as our Lord and our King and our Master. May we renew one another's hearts with these thoughts and these words. And God, for any here today that are still living in the bondage, the bondage of the self, the bondage of works, the bondage of earning, the bondage of morality, the bondage of religion, the bondage of, of societal pressure, the bondage of victimhood, I pray, God, that today they would follow Jesus with all their heart, that they would just submit to you and say, lead me, guide me, O great Jehovah. May that be our heart's cry today and every day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.